Lord is saying. We thank you that we have ears to hear and we have a heart to embrace and obey. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you want to turn to Matthew No, this morning before uh, before the service started, uh, Zavery, wave at me, Zavery. Everybody knows Zavery? Zavery and Shandra. You hear Shandra? There you are. Awesome people that God has brought into this congregation, and we are very grateful to have them. And I want to encourage you to get to know them. Um, that was just a side commercial, by the way. But this morning before the service started, Zavery... He gave me this mic and asked me to do a sound check. You know, when you're always doing a sound check, you know, one, two, one, two, you know, you don't know what to say, so you start saying things. And we always say one, two, check, one, two, and uh, that kind of thing. And we do that. The purpose of that is to get it ready, to cue it up and everything so that we can move forward, so you can deliver your message. And this morning, I feel like the Lord is wanting us to do a, a sound check, a one, two. In other words, we need to we need to tweak and adjust things, see where we are. So that we can move forward effectively the way he wants us to. Amen. So we're going to do a little sound check this morning because the things that I'm going to talk about. Generally speaking, you've heard them quite a bit, especially for me. In these last number of months. But I can't, uh, I can't get away from this message. Looking in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is after, after Jesus was raised from the dead and he had visited his disciples a number of times, proved that he was alive and he was resurrected. And he's about to leave to go be with the Father and he gives... His disciples, one last instruction. Verse 18, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So he tells his disciples to go and make disciples. He says, guys, this is it. This is what it's all about. This is what I've been preparing you for for the last three years. Now go and do it. Go make disciples. Teaching them to observe everything that I taught you. In other words, the game plan that I laid out before you, I want you to share that same game plan with them. So what are we about here at New Covenant Fellowship? We are about effective discipleship. Effective discipleship. You know, for many years we've been about and we will continue to be about sending people to the nations. Because Jesus said, go into all the nations and make disciples. And there's a practical aspect to that. There's, a, there's an aspect of getting out of your physical comfort zone of home as you know it and go wherever the Lord is sending you. Whether it's to across seas, Africa, Mexico, Romania, Chile, wherever he's sending you. Stillwater, Oklahoma. But we have to know that our calling, our purpose, what's God's purpose for my life as a Christian? To make disciples. Plain and simple. You want to know God's will for your life? Let me summed up in that phrase, make disciples. That's what we are about here at New Covenant Fellowship. We're about building God's kingdom one person at a time through intentional, relational discipleship. Intentional. That means you have to do it on purpose. Relational. We'll talk about that in a minute. And discipleship. That's what Jesus told us to go and do. And we were, we're about and, and want to learn how to be about effective discipleship. In other words, building lives that glorify God. Building lives that people can look at. You know, as, as Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and they glorify God. So that's, the, that's the lifestyle of a discipleship. When people can look at you, look at how you're living and they glorify God. They don't glorify you. They don't raise you up on a pedestal. But they recognize God working in your life. And they say, oh my goodness, this God's real. Look what he's doing in your life. And they glorify God because of your life. That's what we are about. Matthew 4.19, you don't have to turn there, but you can mark it down if you're taking notes. After Jesus was baptized and he's about to start his ministry. And he begins to approach the men. And he invites them. In 419, he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And a while back we talked about this is what discipleship is about right here. When Jesus said, come and follow me. My question to you is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you following him? Now, it's easy to say yes to that. But what does that look like? What does that look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Because I can say I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe that God raised him from the dead. I can, I can give mental assent to those truths and therefore think that that's what makes me a follower of him. And that's not necessarily true. If I'm following somebody, if Cornell were to get up and begin to walk out of this room and I'm to follow him, 
and I'm still standing here and he's out of the room, then I'm not following him, am I? But if he gets up and starts walking, then I'm going to start walking too. And I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Wherever he's going, whatever he's doing, I'm following right behind him. And we're going to talk about what that looks like practically in a second. But he says, come follow me and I will make you. So as we're following Jesus, then we're allowing him to change us. He's going to make us. In other words, he's going to make us into something. He's going to change us, transform us into something different as we follow him. That's what discipleship is about. It's about being changed, being transformed. And then he says, then I will make you fishers of men. So true discipleship, the way Jesus does it, is to follow Jesus, is to allow him to change us as we're following him. And then we're going to be committed to his mission, which is people. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. So as I'm following Jesus and as Jesus is changing me, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to begin to reach people. I'm going to begin to make disciples. Because that's what he tells us to do. Amen. So my question to you is, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you allowing him to change you through the process that he has ordained? And are you committed to his mission of making disciples? Are you making disciples? Are you currently discipling a person or people? In other words, is there somebody in your life that that is looking to you for answers, for help? They're watching your example. You're you're more, you're further along the road of Christianity than they are. Maybe they're a new believer. Maybe they're not a new believer, but you're more mature than they are. And so they're looking to you for guidance, for answers, for for encouragement, for strength. Do you have people in your life like that? Don't answer that. I mean, just I want you to think about this, because that's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. We are called to make disciples. Are you committed to allowing him to change you through the process that he has ordained? And that's what I want to get into more detail today. The process that Jesus has ordained to change us. Because I can say I'm a follower of Jesus. And then go about it my own way. Say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to, I know Jesus is going that way, but I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm going to go this way and hopefully meet him. Around the corner. It doesn't work that way. But unfortunately, I believe many people are deceived into believing that. Believe, okay, I'm a Christian. That means I can do what I want and then expect God to put his tag of blessing on it. So we need to be committed to the process that he has ordained to make us more like him. You ever watch kids play dress up? You know, whether, they, whether it's little girls, they'll put on fancy dresses. Or if it's a little boy, he'll get a, hey, mom, can I borrow a towel? Moms, you remember the days when your sons would get the towels and the, and the safety clips or the safety pins? And they'd become Superman, Batman. And they were transformed into this, this superhero. Well, the little girls were transformed into moms. They were being moms. They were playing uh, dress up or they were playing husband and wife or or whatever, but the, the kids will take on these roles and pretend. 
And then they'll act a certain way within the context or that time frame. You know, and it's cute and amusing to watch them. But how do you know that it's pretend? How do you know when kids are being Batman or Robin or whatever? How do you know that it's pretend? Because when it's time for them to quit, like if mom says, okay, Charlie, it's time to come take a nap. All of a sudden, Charlie's transformed back into his real life. Because, see, if he was really Superman, he'd say, no, mom, I'm not taking a nap today. (laughs) But he knows that's not going to happen because his mama slapped some kryptonite upside his head. So reality check comes in when little Charlie takes off the cape. And he goes to bed or he does, you know, if it's time to come in to eat dinner or or whatever he has to do, he's back into his real life, his real reality. So he takes off the fake clothes, takes off the fake personality, puts on on reality. A lot of people live their Christian lives this way. They dress up on Sunday and put on their pretend roles. And they act a certain way within the context or that time frame. In other words, Sunday morning we come and we put on our faces, we put on our clothes or or whatever, we put on our role and we act a certain way within this context. And how do we know it's pretend? Because when that context is over, the time ends, they go back to their normal life. And I don't believe that's how God intends us to live his life. It's not something we put on in the morning. We put on when we're going to go to a Bible study or to church service. And then we take it back off when we go home. But unfortunately, many people, that's how they live their Christian lives. Or their church life or whatever they want to call it. And that's not God's intention. He has a better way. You know, I don't believe all people who... That's kind of how they walk their Christianity out. I don't believe they're all being hypocritical. I believe some don't know any better. That's all they know to do. You go to church. You know, you love God. You worship. You give offerings. You serve. You do those things. And then you go back and you just live your normal life. And unfortunately, a lot of times the normal life doesn't have a lot to do with God. Unless we're in a crisis. Then we remember, oh yeah, remember me? I talked to you last Sunday. I need help. Turn to Second Peter with me. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. By his divine nature, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
That right there is pretty awesome. That phrase right there. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable, enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for one another. The more you grow like this, what he just laid out, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right here, he's showing the process that God uses for us to change and to become more like him. When Jesus called his disciples, when he says, will you come and follow me? Peter, James, John, and all the guys, he called them to follow him. And he modeled something before them. And then three and a half years later, he was able to leave this planet, leave this realm, and leave these guys behind who, when he first called them out, they were a bunch of knuckleheads, anger management issue people. You know, they, they had all these issues. And yet Jesus called them, was with them for a while, and then left. And these very men turned the world upside down. And those very men are the reason why you and I are here. Now, obviously, we know it's Jesus, but because of their they're willing to follow his example and continue the gospel message throughout all the generations. We are here because of what they did. And it's that discipleship process when he said, come and follow me and I will make you. There was something that he did that changed them. They submitted to his process and they were changed and then they were effective. Now, I don't believe that all Jesus did, you know, when he when he called them, he called them to a Bible study and they sat down and he opened the scrolls and they went through the word together. They just said, OK, you guys can go home now. And then he didn't see them again for six days. I don't believe that's how Jesus did his discipleship program. Do you? He invited these guys to come and live with him, to come share life with him. They were with Jesus probably 24-7. At least many of them or whatever. We don't know how, what it exactly looked like, but it appears that they lived with him. They walked with him wherever he was, they were. And so they saw how he interacted. They saw how he did things over and over and over again. And when Jesus would teach them, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, when he would teach them, they say, oh, yeah, he does that. Oh, yeah, that's how you do that. 
See, because unfortunately we in America, and I say America because I'm not sure about the other countries, but in America, we've relegated discipleship to Bible study, to a transfer of information. Now, believe me, that plays a role in it. It is important to get in the word and to study it together and to to hash it out and learn and, and see what the Holy Spirit is wanting to teach us through his word. But that is a small, I'm not going to say necessarily small, but that is a part of the process. But that's not the majority of the process. Because what happens, if you notice in, let's see, verse 5. What was that? Verse 5. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement or add to your faith virtue or moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. You see, knowledge is part of the process, but it's not the whole process. And what we can do is get a lot of Bible study going. Read, 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 read. Go on the Internet and, and do Bible courses on the Internet. Go to Bible study on Monday. Go to Bible study on Saturday. Go to Bible study on Sunday. And then we think, okay, I got all this knowledge, so therefore I'm growing and I'm mature in Christ. And then you go and let life smack you around a little bit. And then you realize you don't know as much as you thought you did. And see, that's what happens. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. If all you do is get a bunch of Bible knowledge, you're going to be arrogant and proud. Because, and you're going to think more highly of yourself than you really are. But see, what happens is, is we get the knowledge, the word of God, and then God says, okay, now we're going to have a pop quiz. Now I'm going to show you how to implement what I've taught you into your life. And so we place such a premium on Bible study. And please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that Bible study is not important. So if you quote me as saying that, then you, you've misquoted me. The Word of God is the authority. I mean, it is God's Word that we need. It is our daily bread that we need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But what I am saying is that we're missing a big part of the process of discipleship. And as a result, the church is weak, ineffective. And not what God wants yet. Because he will come back for a glorious bride. Now the question is, are you going to be a part of that? And I believe when we submit to him and his process, we will be a part of it. But if we think we're going to do things our way and go our own way, you're not going to be a part of it. And so what the model that Jesus presented when he invited the disciples to be with him is called relationship. Intentional, personal, transparent, vulnerable, accountable relationship. I mean, think about it. You're hanging out with the guy who knows everything. Do you think you can hide? 
You think Judas was getting away with? No. But do you know that, I just thought of this, that even though Judas did what he did, I believe Jesus knew that he was going to do what he did. He still invited Judas to be a part of intimate relationship with him. In other words, relationship doesn't always pan out the way you think it should. Relationships can be deadly. They can be very hurtful. And you know, the very thing that God has called us to, to allow Him to do, to do in us what He wants to do, the very thing called relationship, at the same time can be the scariest thing. And many people are afraid of relationship because of what you've experienced through relationship. And because you've experienced some, some bad things, some horrendous things, then maybe subconsciously you've decided that you're going to do the Jesus thing without relationship. And you're not going to be effective in that. You're not going to be able to grow. So why do we need relationships? Practically speaking, why do we need relationships? I believe it's the God-given context in which we grow. You know, the Bible in Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. See, when you have Bible knowledge, and then you take that knowledge into relationship, that's where you get to see how real that Bible knowledge is. In other words, you can read the Sermon on the Mount, you can read Forgiveness, Loving your enemies, bless those who persecute you, forgive, 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 forgive. You can read all that. And if you do not allow yourself to get in relationship, then you're never going to be able to practice that forgiveness thing. Because if you don't have any relationships, then you don't have any, you don't have to worry about anybody betraying you. You don't have to worry about anybody offending you. And see, unfortunately, that's what people are doing. They're saying, no, I'll let you get this close because I will not allow anybody to hurt me again. I will not allow that to happen. And see what you're doing when you're holding your hands up saying no to the pain? You're also saying no to God's process. You're also saying no to God's transformation. Remember, the the Bible calls us to walk in faith. So when you invite relationship, you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. In this process. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to get hurt. That doesn't mean you're not going to be betrayed. That doesn't mean people aren't going to think or speak ill of you, even though you've embraced them and you've trusted them and you've welcomed them. But you're trusting God for the results. You're trusting God to protect and help you. And develop you to make you more like Jesus. See, there are many, 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 we can say a whole bunch of people out in the world who don't know Jesus. And there are a whole bunch of people who are lost, who are on their way to hell, who are going there very quickly, who are in bondage, who are hurting, who are without hope, who are scared. You know, if you ever allow yourself to be in a situation where you're hanging around just a lot of people who don't know Jesus, it's a totally different environment. 
And a lot of times there's a lot of hopelessness in that environment. And so there are people in that context, and that is a reality to them. If they were to die, they go straight to hell. And who has God called to reach them? His church, right? But a lot of the people out there who are lost have been abused, have been in all kinds of situations, have been in all kinds of messes. And God wants them brought into his family so that he and his family can minister to them to build them up into the person of God that he wants them to be. Would you agree with that? I mean, does God do all the discipleship himself? In other words, it's me and God and that's it? Is that true? Is that a reality? No. But he wants people out there to be able to come into his family so they can be changed, they can be transformed, they can be set free. But if they come into a place where we're not changed, we're not transformed, we're not free, we're still in our bondage, what are we going to invite them to? Why are they going to want that? But imagine if you trust God in a process and he sets you free, he heals your heart, regardless of the horrendous circumstances you live through. And you allow God to work and transform you and, and change you. And he brings forgiveness, real, genuine forgiveness in your heart and healing. And then you reach out to a person that you recognize. That's what I used to look like years ago. And you embrace them and bring them in through the gospel. And you say, follow me as I follow Christ. I see where you're at. I see the hurt that you're going through. And guess what? I was there, but God has done a wonderful thing in my life. And I want to share that with you. That is the only way we're going to be effective in reaching the lost. If we allow him to take us through the process, which has everything to do with relationship. And I will say that you will only grow, I mean, real Christian Jesus kind of growth to the extent that you allow relationship, godly relationship in your life. In other words, if you are keeping people at a distance, you only allow people to get so close, then you are limiting your growth in God. You are limiting. What are some practical reasons why we need relationship? Number one, it's the God-given context in which we grow relationship. We grow as we practice living and walking out the principles that we learn from the Word of God. Number two, it's the context in which your real spiritual growth can be measured. See, I can think I know it all. I can think I can go to Bible school or some training and there's nothing wrong with that. But I can go to that and then graduate or come out of that and think I'm it. Think I'm the stuff. Until I get in a relationship and then I realize how much I don't know. But see, the information, the knowledge that I have should equip me to go into relationship. And then when things go certain ways, I le- I've learned from the word of God of how to respond, how to, how to deal with the situation. In other words, if someone offends me, and they will, if you're in a church for five minutes, you will be offended. Okay, sorry. Three minutes. If you're in the church, if you're around Christians, you will be offended. Can I get a witness on that? Now, that's not necessarily a positive thing, but that's a reality. 
Now, when you get to heaven, I think that's the only time you will stop being offended is heaven. So anytime before heaven, you will be offended. I mean, think about it. spouses. Don't we get offended by our spouses? When they don't do what we want them to do. So I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about offense by your enemies. I'm talking about people you love, people you open your heart to. It's going to happen. But you know what's awesome? When I get offended, God gives me the grace. He gives me this, this wonderful package, this gift. It's called grace. If I open it up and receive it, it gives me the power to respond to that offense in a godly way. And it gives me the power to be kept free from the bondage of bitterness and resentment that will come upon me if I don't receive that grace. And I've experienced some serious growth through some serious relational challenges that I've gone through. You know, I shared the time when I went through the situation when I was helping Tom write out and, and that whole deal about the, the lawsuit and, and just all that craziness that I wanted God to get me. I wanted him to beam me up out of that. And he said, no. <laughs> now I can look back and I thank him that he didn't take me out of that situation, but he walked with me through it because I saw a major something in my life happen. I was given the opportunity to really forgive people that were persecuting me. That were abusing me, so to speak. And I was able to walk through it and really begin to love these people in a real way. I'd never experienced that before. Number three, so we can benefit from the strengths and gifts of other people. You know, two, some of you have probably heard this before, but and maybe you know somebody who their church... Their church is staying at home and watching them on TV. That's their church service. You know, they'll watch um, uh, whoever. They'll listen to the worship, and then they'll listen to the word, and it's like, praise God, that was a good word, brother or sister. That was a good word. Amen. I'm good. And there's nothing wrong with watching Christian TV and, and gaining and receiving the word. But if you're substituting that for your church, there's a problem there. Because how can you have relationship with those people through the TV set? And of course, that pastor is going to be awesome because he's never going to offend you because he can't. He's on the other side of that, too. And so you'll be very safe and you'll have a very distorted view of Christianity. And I believe that can be supplemental to your Christian walk, but not the main course. I believe the main course needs to be, you need to be within a body of believers. So they can have time to offend you. Now, so, that, so that we can, you can benefit from the strengths and the gifts of each other. So let me say something. You have an awesome deposit of the Holy Spirit in you if you're born again. You have a powerful, wonderful deposit of the Holy Spirit. And because of the way he's designed you, there are some unique and awesome giftings that are inside of you. And if you stay at home and watch TV, then how am I going to benefit from that awesome deposit that God has placed inside of you? How am I going to benefit from that? I'm not. So you are ripping me off. 
I know I'm being selfish, but it's okay because I'm the one talking. But when we stay separated, when we don't allow ourselves to get in a relationship, then we are robbing each other of the awesome deposit that God has placed in us. We need each other's giftings. Are you hearing me? You need what I have. I need what you have. We need each other. And so as we fellowship, as we walk life together, there's gonna, there, there will come a point in time when I need something and you have it. And you share it. You deposit it. And it's like, praise God. Thank you. That's why we need relationships. And I personally am, am learning to benefit from the strengths and spiritual gifts of other people that are in my life. That I'm being accountable to. That I'm listening to. Because I trust the Holy Spirit in them. See, there comes a point in time when you don't... Now, we know we're imperfect and we make mistakes and that kind of thing. But we have to come to where we trust the Holy Spirit in each other. We trust that even though this person's imperfect, I trust the, the, the power of Almighty God to work through that imperfection and to give me what I need. See, that's, that's ultimate faith in God. See, faith in God is not, well... I don't trust all of you guys. It's going to be just me and God. Just me and God. And we think that is so spiritual. That is so immature. Because anybody can do that. But true faith in Him is saying, God, I trust you and I trust your process. I trust your people. Number four, why do we need relationships in the church? So we can learn of our weaknesses and allow God to grow us in those areas. Seeing how others are doing it right in an area that we are struggling in can bring conviction, challenge, humility, grace, wisdom, and change. When I'm around other people and I have weaknesses in certain areas, God's going to knit with me with people who are strong in those areas. And I'm going to learn how to do it right. And I'm going to be convicted by what they're doing and I'm not doing. But if I just stay by myself, then it's easy to stay the way I am. And I don't know about you, but I'm not content with where I am. I want to become more and more like him. Number five, you learn to see life from another perspective. When you allow yourself to be in relationship with people, you allow yourself to see life from a different perspective. To see things from a different perspective. Do you realize that all of our perspectives have been tainted? They've been developed. Some, if you've been in bad situations with people, just bad, 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 then you, and you've survived, you've come out of that, you're, you know, you're somewhat okay, life, the way you see it, is going to have a certain tint to it. And you're going to see everything that way. And so if you stay by yourself, then you're going to stay with your own perspective and you're going to think that that perspective is the correct perspective. Now, part of your perspective could be correct, but a lot of it probably isn't. Unless you've allowed God to deal with the hurt. See, because when you've been abused, I don't know why this keeps coming up. I believe it's on purpose. But when you've been abused, offended, mistreated, if you don't get that hurt dealt with by the Holy Spirit, then it's going to turn into something. It's going to turn into a certain kind of fruit. And I'm, I'm excited about the timely message of Charlie Fink coming next week. 
And I pray, my prayer is that you don't take the title forgiveness and just throw that and say, oh, I know about forgiveness. And dismiss yourself from that because you think you know about forgiveness. We all know about forgiveness. But is there room for us to learn more about forgiveness? I mean, isn't there even a little bit of room? You may have it down 99%, but come and get the 1% next week. Amen? And so if, that's me making that noise. Oh, my wife just said she's watching me. Hi, Lisa. Everybody say hi to Lisa. Lisa. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for that. Anyway, would you stop texting me and stuff while I'm preaching? Huh? Yeah, was with my mom. Yeah, you got called by your mom, right? <laughs> but I love you very much, honey. You're my favorite person in the whole wide world. I'm so excited about that horse we have. Yes. All right. When I get back from perspective, is when you have a certain perspective about life, but when you get with other people, then your perspective is going to get broadened and become more corrected. But if we stay to ourselves, then we're in danger of of seeing everything from a certain perspective, which is very tainted. Relationships work only to the extent that you open yourself up. Relationships work only to the extent that you open yourself. I know it's a lot of hit and miss on what I'm sharing. I'm not even sharing how to get in relationship and all that kind of stuff. And that's not the intent right now. The challenge today, our check one, two, is to see where are you in relationship to relationship. Where are you in relationship to that? Are you allowing yourself to be in relationships that are going to sharpen you, that are going to encourage you, that are going to convict you, that are going to challenge you? That are going to minister to and build you up. You know, the coming on Sunday morning only is not going to cut it. And unfortunately, that's too many people's, that's their, that's their Christianity, that's their discipleship. I went Sunday morning, gave them two hours, had a great time of worship, and, and the word was just awesome. Anyway, you didn't get that. But we need more than that. Because even, even right now, we're not necessarily engaging in relationship. You just listen to me talk. But this has a place to encourage us to move forward in God. And then there's other parts of life where we actually move on in God. You know, we've done some things to, uh, to create an environment that will allow, challenge and enable us to engage in relationships at a deeper level. We're learning how to do this. You know, we've, we started the NFL. There's Bible studies. There's one on Tuesday morning real early with the men. There's one on Tuesday morning with the ladies. And right now we have Sunday evening, not only with the men NFL, but ladies, we have uh, small groups that are meeting Sunday nights for the women, going through the every woman's battle. And see, the purpose of those groups is not just getting information. You need information that's being shared in those groups, but that's not the only purpose. But it's to come together 
to connect with other brothers or sisters and to build relationships so we can walk together. And see, that's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled. When he called those men to come, he modeled relationship. He shared his life with them. He was open to them. And they learned from that. And I believe that when they went out and began to make disciples, they did what Jesus did. Because that's what they saw. That's what they were taught. And it wasn't just. Matter of fact, if you look in the book of Acts. I mean, they did. They shared life together. They shared life together. That's what they did. Where did they learn that from? Jesus. They shared life. And unfortunately, in our community, in our society, we're too busy. We're too busy for relationships. And so we're busy about our lives. And then what's going to happen is we're going to be at the end of our lives and realize how much we missed out on. Because we turned down relationship in place of promotion. And you may be a big dog in your corporation or your company or the university or, or whatever context you're excelling in. But there's going to come a point in time when that is going to stop. And what we allow God to build in us is going to last forever. The kingdom of heaven. So I want you to think. If you close your eyes with me and think or ponder the question. Let's see, where am I right now? Am I, have I been willing up to this point to allow myself to be in, in relationship? And right now, let me, let me say accountability relationship. Because we can have our friends and that's good. But accountability, people that, that we get permission to speak into our lives, even things that we don't want to hear, because they're right and we're wrong and we don't want to hear it. But we, we invite that. We say, God, bring it because I want to change. Do you recognize that you've held out your hand, your arm and you've, you've held people back? You've held relationship back because of the pain that is in your heart and you don't trust. Because if you're willing to recognize that, there is something you can do about that. And I'm not talking about just the simple, just forgive and forget. Just get on with it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about inviting the Holy Spirit to really do some major heart surgery in your heart. To set you free. To heal up that heart. That's what I'm talking about. I forgot how to turn that thing off. We have a wonderful ministry, Father's Heart Ministry. That is designed for that very reason, with that very purpose in mind. We have Charlie Fink coming next Sunday, and I'm, I'm praying for a full house. My last question to you is wherever you are in relationship with other people, other Christians, do you believe that's where God wants you to be? In other words, is He calling you for more and you're resisting? And if so, are you willing to stop resisting?
and start allowing him to work in your heart and your life through relationships. I'm going to open your eyes. I'm going to close with one thing that the, the thing that I am most excited about in my life being in the position that I am in as a pastor, I realize there's nothing more important that has made the most impact in my life than the relationships of these men that I've invited to be close to me. That has made the biggest difference in my life. Because there are times when the pressure can get so big but thank God it hasn't gotten too big because it hasn't, it did not have to just rest on my shoulders. Because we have a, a number of shoulders that God has allowed me to entrust that together we're bearing the load. Now, you know, it's just like the analogy that just popped in my head. You ever see a. Some guys do something kind of cruel or silly and they'll pick up a little Volkswagen and turn it sideways in a parking space. Hey, had guys that used to do that at our high school. You know, if one or two of those guys tried to do that, that would be impossible. But you get a number of guys to, to lift a big load, it's a simple task. And I thank God for the relationships that I have close to me. accountability relationships, the brothers that I serve with, the elders, the ministry leaders. We're getting closer and closer and learning to work closer together. And it is a thing that I am the most excited about because I see that that in my life is going to bring about the most fruit. And I'm excited about that. The battles we've been through, the challenges, I thank God that I'm learning how to trust relationships. And one thing I do want to say about that, and I would invite and I ask you, I'm not going to beg, but I'm, I am asking you, that if you ever have a problem, something comes up, and you have a problem, maybe concerning me, but you don't feel safe coming directly to me, I ask, I beg, and I invite you to talk to one of the leaders. And say, hey, I... I'm concerned about this. I'm hearing things. You know, Steve Irby, Dale Barnes, Sam Gunner when he's available. Um, Ken Hall. Yeah, Ken's not here. Also Todd, Greg, Cornell. I know their names. <laughs> Stephen Burke. <laughs> These are the men that, that God has given me. For my protection, for my encouragement, for my sharpening. And so if you never, if you, if you don't feel that you can come talk to me about something, I invite and I ask you to please talk to one of these men. Especially if it's an issue, if it's a problem you see me having or, or going astray or whatever, please. It may not feel good, but I'm inviting you because I want to keep the course. I want to stay straight. And I'm excited about change. Because I do trust my Heavenly Father. I do trust Him. 
Amen? All right, let's stand together. Father, we just thank you, first of all, Lord, that you've invited us to relationship with you. We are so grateful to that, for that. And Lord, we recognize that you are inviting and encouraging us to have relationship with one another so that we can sharpen one another, grow, learn together, and become transformed into the very image of Jesus. That's what we want, because we want to bring glory to you. And so, Father, I thank you that right now you are extending your grace that will enable every one of us to embrace and trust your process of relationship. And I thank you, Lord, that you're showing and teaching us how to walk it out. And I thank you, Father, as a church, what you're doing, where you're taking us, and what we're going to become. We're going to become a place that sees more and more of the kingdom of heaven established on the earth. The kingdom of God manifest in greater ways through our lives. We thank you, Father, and we love you, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. And don't forget about next Sunday evening. Thank you.